Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Yuri Baylick. And Yuri is the head of strategy and acquisitions for Onfolio. Man, I, I appreciate having you here today. There's some cool stuff we got to talk about. You guys buy digital assets at online companies, right? Yeah, that's right. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I'm you know happy to jump in and kind of talk about everything. Well, let's just start off with kind of like what is on Folio and, and let's go there and then we'll kind of we'll go from that and we'll kind of get into how did you come into this space. But let's start off with who, who is the company? You know, what, are, what do they do? Sure. So Unfolio is a soon to be uh, publicly traded company starting about next week. Um, we're a holding company, so we acquire and run online businesses. Um, we focus, um, we used to focus on the e-commerce and uh, content and affiliate space. Um, but now uh, we prefer acquisitions in uh, for like digital products, uh, productized services, um, SaaS uh, agencies. Okay. So pretty much anything online, it sounds like you're pretty broad as far as, you know, it's, it's an online business or some, of some sort. Correct. Right. Um, we are looking to, to move more into the strategic uh, acquisition space where, uh, the, you know, they're based around a specific audience. Um, and, you know, we, we refine that as we go along. Uh, but generally, it's, uh, yeah, it's in the kind of like the digital uh, product and service space. And I was looking at your website. You guys have had quite a few acquisitions already, right? You have like uh, more than, was it three? Your website says 38 current sites. Uh, yeah, so when Unfolio started, it had a, a, a bit of a different business model where we would help investors acquire online businesses. So some of the acquisitions in our portfolio might have been made on behalf of investors, and mm-hmm. some of them are owned by Unfolio. Okay, well, awesome. And then how did you get into this space? How did uh, I, I see that you have the Esquires, I think, on the end of your name. So you, you went to law school, and now, you, now you're in mergers and acquisitions. So like, <laughs> uh, fill in the gap a little bit. How did you, how did you end up in this? Sure. Uh, so I graduated law school right around the time that the, um, I think it was the housing market had crashed and basically everybody was just uh, laying people off. So there were no jobs for attorneys. Um, uh, you know, all the large law firms, they were laying off hundreds and hundreds of people. So my cousin and sister were both laid off from big firms and I was just getting into the market. So there was just no jobs available. And um, I had a, a background in digital marketing because I've been running uh, e-commerce websites since I was about 13. And um, while I was in law school, I built a, a few websites in the legal content space and actually ended up selling them to LexisNexis. So after graduating law school and not being able to find like a legal job, I went to go work in their SEO department. 
Um, and I've actually spent about 10 to 15 years working in the SEO space um, for agencies in-house and consulting companies. And uh, I was kind of burned out. I was living in New York and I decided to basically uh, quit my uh, SEO consulting gig and uh, move to Bali, like a lot of the digital nomads do to get their start. Um, and so I spent a couple of months living there and eventually um, I went to, uh, I did some SEO consulting for a company called SureSwift Capital. Uh, they're pretty similar to what we do, except they focus exclusively on the, on the SaaS space. And so after a couple of months there, I joined Onfolio initially just uh, sort of on the content team. But because I've had so much um, visibility into working uh, at the agencies, working uh, across portfolios in different industries, verticals, um, I just had a big, uh, you know, broad depth of knowledge in a lot of different spaces and eventually kind of transitioned into helping Onfolio look for the businesses to buy um, because it was easier for me to vet them having worked in a lot of different industries. So it kind of accidentally migrated, you know, from, from legal into SEO um, and now sort of back into quasi-legal. Quasi the experience in the legal background certainly has got to help you with a lot of the like reviewing all the contracts, reviewing the due diligence and, and all that type of stuff. Uh, so that, you know, that's a skill that most of us have to outsource. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually one of the best kinds of lawyers. I'm a, the non-practicing kind. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I'm, we jokingly I'm call them recovering attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's an interesting fact. Something I heard, like something like fifty percent of attorneys don't actually practice law. Um, so, I'm one of them. <laughs> Start. I was going to go back, and the, the law I was going to go into was intellectual property. I had an opportunity. I was consulting at a company, doing project management and stuff for them, and. Uh, I got to meet their IP lawyer and I sat there with them in a couple of days because they didn't have a desk for me anywhere else. I just say, how to sit in here with him. I want to see what he does anyway. His job looks so freaking boring. I'm glad I never went back. to that. <laughs> He just sat there all day reviewing contracts and paperwork and mm. doing patent searches and just, I don't. Yeah. So, uh, learned really quick. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't the path I wanted to go back down and said, I got a master's degree in marketing. So, <laughs> so let's jump into what on is like looking for, what are they doing? Uh, let's talk about the process of like identifying companies. You know, uh, one of the things that a lot of us have issues with is finding great companies to do, you know, to pull the trigger on. So mm -hmm. can, you, can you talk a little bit about the process you guys through, go through to look for acquisition targets? Sure. So, I mean, I'm basically on, on the mailing list of every, you know, um, broker marketplace out there. And I also spend time going through each one every single day. Uh, in addition to that, I also look for private deal flow. Uh, we have a few inbound leads um, coming in. Hopefully that, that'll increase soon. Um, and then also just outreach. Um, I identify the type of business I want, whether it's an industry or a category, and I just start kind of cold emailing them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's been a, a number of um, startups recently that have been aggregating listings from brokers and marketplaces and then also helping um, with private deal flow. So I, you know, I think most of us are doing something pretty similar. Yeah. So, um, give me that. So if anybody's listening and they run, I, I have a lot of guys out there that listen and they do run, uh, it, uh, not it, but just e-commerce related businesses and stuff. What is the selection criteria? Is there a certain like size and revenue size mm -hmm. or technology? Yeah. Um, well, we don't we don't really buy e-commerce anymore. But as far as the acquisition size, I'd say we're looking for about one to five million mm -hmm. acquisition. So yeah. one to five million. And then like 
if you could buy the if, if you could buy the perfect comp- company next, what are you looking for right now? I mean, is there like a marketing company you're looking for, or is there something out there like, man, if we had that, that would help move us forward? Yeah, I definitely look like uh, digital marketing companies, right? Especially when you start kind of putting them together. If you acquire an SEO agency, you know, what are your SEO clients? you know, looking for next. And then you're like, hey, they need uh, paid marketing services. So then you could look at like a social media agency and like a PPC agency. Um, You know, there's a lot of these um, design services um, and I like some of them uh, where they do like unlimited designs for a monthly fee. So I group them that bucket into kind of the productized service. Um, Something that used to be traditionally like an agency where you'd have to contact them for a quote. They basically turn that into a product. So you get like a you know, a specific service for set fee. Uh, so those are really interesting to us. You know, it's interesting as I actually uh, spent the entire last year and a half working on a big marketing roll-up and we were able, we, we had a very interesting way we were doing. It was very unique, but, uh, and we, in a matter of 200, I think it was 216 days, we talked almost right at about 200 uh, marketing agencies that were interested. And we had three of us doing the sourcing and 100% of that sourcing was from LinkedIn outreach. We were just reaching out to digital marketing companies and marketing companies that were active on LinkedIn and said, hey, we're investors. We're looking to acquire marketing agencies. If you would like to you know, grow with us for a couple of years and have a bigger exit than you could have on your own, we should talk. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was the, that was the total play. Now you've got an additional benefit, right? You guys are going public. So it's like, Hey, if you'd, you know, if you'd be interested in being part of a publicly traded company, we should talk, right? That's, that's a, there's a lot of these guys, there's a false ceiling in these marketing uh, agencies. If the, they're perceived that they're not big enough, they can't go out and pitch certain clients. So there's a mm-hmm. huge win for them to be a bigger company. Yeah, I mean, getting listed on NASDAQ is definitely going to be a big boost. You know, we're hoping that's going to increase the the visibility and the deal flow that we have coming in. But yeah, it also makes, you know, pitches for us, uh, I think, a little bit easier, whether it's to get on a podcast um, or <laughs> although, you know, that, that wasn't actually even part of it, but uh, or like deal flow, things like that. But, you know, you, you always hear the expression like you want to be during the gold rush, you want to be selling shovels. Right. So the mm-hmm. kind of businesses we like are the ones that are selling shovels. So when we see a business, we look at it and we're like, well, is this the business? Are they, you know, are they just digging for gold? Um, and if they are, then we look at like, what tools is this business uh, using? And then we might be interested in the tools that are being used by this business rather the, the, than the business itself. That's brilliant. The, uh, you know, one of the reasons I do the podcast, right, is this is, you know, this is we're, we're helping the miners, right? We're you know, we're, we're selling picks and shovels. We're, we're, we're offering information and sharing back. And then, you know, as a result of it, there's leads that come in. So there, there's that side of it. So let's talk about like just kind of the process you go through, um, you know, at the company, you know, somebody reaches out to you, they say, Hey, we're interested in, in, in what you do. We might be interested in being part of what you do. Um, What's the process look like for a company that would, would might want to integrate and be be merged in or bought from by you guys? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing is I kind of just jump on the website. I take a look around. You know, I run it through all my tools. Um, I look at the market as a whole, where it's going, where it's trending. Um, you know, I go through the prospectus. Hopefully, there's a, a, a solid prospectus behind uh, the mm-hmm. business. Um, and then I just start comp- compiling like a very long list of questions as kind of like a first pass through. 
Um, and then after that, the next step is basically jumping on a call with the sellers, uh, getting more information about their team, their operations, their finances. And this isn't even the due diligence. This is just to make sure like, this is a business that we wanna go after. Um, you know, and then if it's something we like, then we start kind of negotiating, looking at the numbers, um, and then ultimately making an offer. And then that's where we go into kind of the more detailed due, di due diligence. What are some of the, uh, like, do you guys, I don't see on your website, I'm kind of, the reason I'm looking over here is I've got this huge monitored workstation, but uh, looking on here, I don't, what are some of the cool uh, companies you currently own right now? Kind of give us an example of what you, what you guys have acquired in the past. Sure. So for example, uh, one website is uh, Mighty Deals, which is like a, um, a deals website for design resources. Um, so we have, you know, some big plans on that one. But basically, um, you know, think of um, uh, what's the Noah Kagan one, uh, uh, AppSumo, something like that, but for mm -hmm. design deals. Okay. Um, another one is uh, Vital Reaction, which is a supplement company. So we do make exceptions uh, for e-commerce. I know I said we don't buy them. There, there are always exceptions for good opportunities. Right. Well, I, I, so you said it was a um, uh, like a vitamin type of place? Correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, for that, hydrogen supplements. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at that, it's, it's subscription-based, recurring revenue. Other than the fact that you're shipping a physical product, it meets all the criteria that, you know, like normal digital, like software as a service would, except you got to, you know, you got to stuff stuff. You got to put stuff in a box and mail it, right? So that's the kind of businesses yeah. I'm always interested in. Is like I, I'm, I'm prior real estate investor, so I, I always perk up when there's recurring revenue that we could grow, right? Because that steadies things out. It makes it a little more stable and stuff. Do you guys look for, you know, software as a service, recurring revenue type of stuff too, or I, uh, is it just yeah? So SaaS is an interesting one because SaaS is definitely priced very differently than most other online businesses. So in SaaS, they like to get a multiple on the annual recurring revenue, oftentimes going as high as 10x. That's just not something we're going to pay. But there's a, there's a lot of opportunities to find subscription or recurring revenue uh, for where it might be like a much lower valuation. And that could be like WordPress plugins, Shopify apps, things like that. Um, so yeah, you know, everybody loves recurring revenue. It's just a matter of how much are you willing to pay for it? Yeah. I've, I, somebody asked me, uh, uh, I get asked regularly, Hey, why don't you buy a SaaS company? You've got a background in technology you used to like you used to work for the government by, you know, building computer systems. Like, yeah, but SaaS is way overpriced right now. And it's not overpriced if you've got the money and you're willing to wait 30 years to get your money back. I'm a small investor. I want my money back in a couple of years. Like I want to be able to redeploy it again. So, but you know, I'm looking for companies, a lot of, you know, brick and mortar type of stuff, but you know, things that you're buying at, you know, 1.5x, 3x, 4x, you know, you, you know, if, if if you don't do anything and you just run it the way they run it, you get your money back in four years. If you, um, you know, three years or whatever the multiple is, or if you do with your job and you increase its value, you can get it back a lot quicker. So I get that. Um, let's talk about the, I, I'm really, I, I know a lot of people are like, they heard it and they're like, talk more about the IPO. <laughs> I know, I know there's some things you can and can't say, Tell me about the process of um, like what it took, how, you know, how long did it take? You don't have to share the money because I know it's crazy high, but like what, mm -hmm. what is the process of taking a company public and uh, how do you, how do you hope, let's just start there and I'm going to ask you ne the next question to prepare for is how do you hope that changes what you've got going on? I think you alluded to it already. 
Yeah, I mean, so I wasn't like involved in the, a lot of the IPO process that was handled by uh, Don Wells, our CEO, and uh, SB, who is our president. Um, it's definitely been a long process um, going on, I think, over a year now. Um, like, like you mentioned, very, very expensive. I don't think most people understand not only the cost of going public, but then the associated cost with maintaining that status every single year. Um, so, you know, a lot of time that uh, both of them have spent uh, on the business has been, um, you know, preparing for this I IPO. It's kind of similar when, you know, somebody's uh, running the business and they're trying to raise like venture capitalist funding, like they can't do both their job and raise money, right? It's like kind of one or the other. Um, so yeah, you know, a, a lot of things went into that. Um, but I, I think what, you know, uh, I saw somebody commented uh, that, you know, this is great for our space. And I think it's true, you know, sort of this whole uh, concept of buying online businesses and buying these like niche content websites, websites flipping, you know, it, it's been happening for a couple of years, but it, now it's really going mainstream. And I think when people see that, like, you know, it's possible to, to whether it's to have a big exit or IPO, you know, people are seeing bigger and bigger opportunities when, when they're getting involved in this. So I think it, it, it is really great for the, for the space. It's gonna keep increasing, hopefully not the multiples, but, <laughs> but you know, the, the revenues and the, you know, the, the investor interest. Um, as you mentioned, you know, you're involved in real estate, right? Um, before recently, real estate investors had no idea about like the opportunities of online businesses. You know, they didn't understand what kind of like returns they're able to get. But now there's so much money flowing through it because they, they understand the possibilities. So, yeah, it's just an exciting time right now. That's funny is I brought on a performance coach to because uh, I, I was kind of getting burnt on the real estate, burnt out on the real estate thing. The very tight niche that I operated inside of had kind of been regulated away. So we did what was referred to as investor back short sales and um uh, it just the banking regulations and stuff worked us right out of the market. It was just that they just didn't want to sell to investors, right? They wanted to maximize their profit and not have us get in the middle of it. So I was looking for the next thing. I hired a performance coach and, uh, you know, this came, this came about because the returns are actually better than most of the real estate deals I've gotten. Um, and that's, that's impressive because, you know, most people think that the real estate is kind of the top of the game for I put effort in and I got money out. Um, uh, mm -hmm you know, for the same dollar for dollar investment, you know, especially using leverage and bank loans and stuff like that, you can make a lot more money in this space. <laughs> and oh, I think, absolutely. yeah, there's, there's, it's going to grow. And, and fortunately for us, for you and me, it's, I'm a big believer in the blue ocean strategy. There are so many businesses that need to change hand in the next 10 to 15 years. It's not going to hurt you or me. We might run into a little competition and have to bid on something, especially if we're going to brokered listed deals then there's mm -hmm. going to be more competition for those. But if you can get good at sourcing and knowing what you're looking for and identifying your target market, I don't, mm -hmm. I, and going direct to those people and saying, Hey, you know, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. You seem to fit that mold. Are you interested in selling or taking on an investor to work with you and getting yes or no's. If you're willing to do the cold outreach, I don't think there's a problem whatsoever with having the market flooded with new guys. Um, there's going to be some learning curve. They're going to, the, the, the problem I've seen this happen in real estate in real estate. When you get too many pe new people doing it, they go out and do things they shouldn't and cause new regulations because they hurt people. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that there'll be, there'll be some rules changed and some guidance has changed just because these new guys will come in and do things differently. You know, they'll do things that, you know, hurt businesses. 
they're going to hurt some senator's daughter's business and the new law is going to get passed, right? It happened in real estate all the time. Um, yeah. You know, some it's, states yeah. don't even allow certain strategies anymore because, you know, new guys got in there and, you know, hurt somebody. And the next thing you know, you have to have a broker's license to, to, to wholesale a property. So I think that'll yeah. happen in this if you get too many newbies circling. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember the whole income store scandal where um, they basically started with what I think was like a good initiative where they were, you know, uh, buying these businesses for investors. And eventually it ended up being a Ponzi scheme where the guy is facing criminal charges. So that, you know, that actually put like a really big dent in kind of like the community because, you know, people were kind of scared at that point. Um, but yeah, you know, there's always going to be new new laws and regulations. Um, I, you know, I think one thing that with when you have real estate, a lot of people uh, see real estate as a passive investment. With online businesses, right? Unless you have like a full team that's managing it, there's no such thing as like a passive investment. Um, I think a lot of people are being sold a dream where they can just buy a site for a couple hundred grand, not do anything, and it'll continue to make money or grow. Where if you're not actively running it or have a team, that's just not the case. And you know what? If a, if a website crashes, right? You have nothing to fall back on. But with real estate, you still have the property. You can go live there if you need to. You can't go live, you know, in a website. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to be retiring and looking to sell businesses. Um, I always joke, right? If you want to find like a, somebody who's retiring, go just Google like powered by uh, Yahoo stores to see who's <laughs> running e-commerce stores on Yahoo. And there's a good chance they'll be retiring soon. That's not a bad idea. Like there's a, there's a, uh, there's a market market acquisition strategy in itself. Go look at uh, all the older, you know, stuff and like, are they, are they not on Shopify? Are they not on Amazon? Are they, you know, they using one of the older, you know, shopping basket mm -hmm. software tools. Uh, Magneto is one of them, right? Or something like that. M M Magento. Yeah. Magento. Yeah. Or or for content sites, it could be on Joomla or Drupal, which are like super old content management systems that nobody uses anymore. I just looked at a $9 million um, marketing firm. They were doing $9 million in profit uh, last year. We were looking at them and they're running Drupal and that they actually help others run Drupal. But it's still around, but uh, they think it's more secure than WordPress. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. But, I didn't think about that. that's a great uh, for those of you guys listening. Uh, look for older technologies; those guys might be ready to retire or move on. So uh, that's a great approach. So it's funny as uh, we were talking about that a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you looked at my background and stuff, but for running big websites back in the day when Yahoo and Excite.com was head to head, I was the technical director, the director of technical operations for all Excite. So I ran the Excite portal. So yeah, I rem I remember that there was yeah. I remember the good old days, but like, you know, the internet was much simpler. <laughs> you know, I remember our, one of our engineering guys pitched that uh, we should probably put ads in our search listings and they got shot down. And I'm pretty sure he went to Google, right? And he's one of the product development guys over there and they did it right away and just killing it, right? But uh, I, yeah, I, one of my first uh, online projects, which got shut down very quickly is this was when uh, Google AdSense was just getting started by Google, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I created a website called Swapcom where people agreed to join and just click on each other's website. And it went from like, you know, I had like, I, so one mistake I made was I was just advertising it publicly everywhere and went from like making zero to like $300 a day within like two weeks. Right. And then like a month later, I guess Google found out and 
they shut down the AdSys account of every single one of my members. <laughs> I lost one of mine like that. Uh, I, it wasn't exactly like that, but uh, I would, uh, I had a way to track if people clicked on any ads inside of one of my tools. So in order to have a free account, they had to click on three ads and mm -hmm. the AdSense found out. So I, I mentioned earlier that I had a, a, a website out there that was featured by TechCrunch and everything. And like it was, you know, paying its own bills. And then all of a sudden AdSense changed the rules and, and uh, I lost my, my income source from it. And I had to shut it down because it just didn't make sense to, it just didn't pay enough to even pay the guys to moderate it. It was called a uh, shared confession. Basically it was kind of a, it was pre or right about the same time. There was a company out there called Postlet or something like that. But we basically, people go on and you know, they would confess to things and two things mm -hmm. happened. One, I got in trouble for like saying, Hey, you know, to maintain a free account, you got to click on three ads. And I had a way inside of the, I click path traffic tracking inside of the, the tools. I could see what you clicked on and what pages you, you know, visited and stuff. And I could see that you mm -hmm. clicked on ads. And uh, anyway, that, so that 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 cut that off. And then somebody posted something on the site that was actually illegal. And and I shut it down because it was supposed to be anonymous. And there was no way I was I wasn't getting mixed up in this. It was it was a bad it was something bad. Uh, they, they, they they confessed to doing something horrible on the site. I took it down, but I got a call from <laughs> law enforcement. <laughs> like, hey, we need we need that. I was like, all I can give you is the uh, IP address and, uh, you know, their carrier and, you know, times they mm -hmm. logged in from. I, it, we did everything we could to keep it anonymous. But, uh, yeah, so I learned my lesson inside of that tech space, too. Let's jump back to you know, kind of uh, the, the process you guys go through. Uh, you know, so you, you've, you, we talked about how you find them. You have different sourcing mechanisms. You talked about kind of they go through the due diligence and stuff. Once they're onboarded, especially now that these guys are going to come on, uh, are you looking for companies where the founders want to stay or are you looking for companies where they can transition out and you guys take it over totally? Or how does, how does that play? Yeah. I, I mean, we definitely leave the, the, the door open if a founder wants to stay on in some capacity, but almost every acquisition or opportunity, I see the founder selling because they want to leave and work on their own projects or retire or family. So they rarely want to actually stay on. Um, ideally though, every business would have an entire team in place and the founder is just like overseeing the team, only spending a couple hours on it. Unfortunately, often that's not really the case. And the founder's still involved in the business working 20, 30 hours a week. So then we'd have to fire, like hire a, a CEO or operator to replace him or maybe promote somebody internally from the team. So you guys, you know, is there a tech stack that you just, that you're, you're kind of looking for that like, you want them to be using certain types of, like, I know you like look, you know, you guys are really, I see a lot of uh, article on there about you being specifically good at SEO, being good at certain things. There's certain things you're looking for inside of these companies. There's any red, I guess the better question is, is there any red flags if they're running, you know, they're running on Microsoft servers and they haven't done any SEO. They're all, it's hundred percent paid ads. Are you interested? Or is there, is there some uh, selection criteria of quality of site? Well, one of the reasons we actually bought, stopped buying content sites was just the over-reliance on, um, on Google. And I kind of see where Google is heading. They're trying to get rid of a lot of the content affiliate sites. And so every update you see is now kind of just hammering them more and more. So I have one rule where basically is if I can't make the, the business work with paid traffic, I don't want to buy it. So if it's completely relying on SEO, that's not necessarily a deal breaker. But if it relies on SEO and it won't work with paid traffic, there's absolutely not interested in that. 
Um, and we just look for businesses where there's opportunities. You know, a lot of the businesses we see, especially agencies, most of their business is um, from word of mouth and inbound, which means they haven't done any SEO and PPC. So there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, yeah, we are definitely stronger on the SEO side, um, which means we might be able to improve their existing SEO. Or if it doesn't exist because they're, you know, doing purely like Facebook ads, we can then come in and then, you know, build out the SEO department there. So I told you we we spoke to over 200 marketing agencies uh, in that in the roll up thing we were doing, uh, and each one of those calls were about an hour. So I spent 200, 200. Some of we had two calls, so 250, 300 hours talking to agencies. You'd be surprised. I, I was shocked on how many marketing agencies were at a loss on how to source new deals because the way they'd always done it were trade shows, rubbing elbows, and you know, and referrals, in person referral type of things, and COVID shut that down. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, ha- yeah, having them understand how their leads come in and how to, to do it uh, is, is critical, but not a, not a lot of the agencies did that. So the number the top three problems with the, the marketing agencies we said, we've seen was sourcing new customers. Like they, they had, they, they were good at keeping the ones they had. They could get referrals from the comfort customers they had for other customers, but there was not any real kind of, lead funnel or way to generate new business um, for most of them. Uh, they, they, they go to trade shows and stuff and they're waiting for that to open back up. The second one was sourcing great employees. It was really hard uh, for these smaller agencies to get the great guys. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I didn't yeah. carried across all of them that way. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Um, another issue is um, a lot of them, especially could be on the agencies is like you mentioned trade shows is everything revolves around the pers- personality of the CEO, right? So if he were to sell the business, a lot of clients might not stay, they might leave, he might not get new business. So another business, like type of business we don't want is where there's like a personality behind a business that we can't easily replace, um, or especially if he's not willing to stay on board, right? So we need we need something like continue, where they will continue work in some capacity, we can continue using their name and likeness until we ultimately offboard them and onboard somebody else to take over like the personality of the business. Okay. I got it. So, uh, so you're looking for, um, you know, that mid-level company where they've already, the CEOs already kind of started removing themselves out of the limelight. Right. Um, we, we ran into quite a few of those. Um, but then again, we, you know, we were at that same stage where we, if you were, um, our, our play was pretty unique in the fact that we were allowing them that we wanted them to keep their brands alive. And then also hold the brand we were creating. So they basically had a two-sided business card. When they needed to be small, local, and, and be known by their local community for all the stuff they've ever done, they could continue using that. But if they wanted to go pitch something big, they could say, hey, we're a wholly owned subsidiary of, you know, I can't say it right now because we still have some legal stuff going on. So XYZ Corporation, right? And, um, you know, the interesting thing was that these agencies – really liked the ability to, that they got to keep their own brand and keep operating. And uh, even the ones where the owners and stuff were leaving the legacy of what they created was extremely important to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. I definitely noticed that, especially with the team that they have. Right. So one thing we, we don't do when we acquire a, a business is we, we don't start letting people go just, you know, to save a couple of dollars here. We, so that's one thing we, we kind of advocate, right? Because if you're selling a business, you might have a couple interesting parties, right? So you, you have to pick, it, it might, you, you might even have a couple um, offers at the same amount. 
so that's where we try to kind of differentiate ourselves. And, you know, we like to keep the team in place and the, and the company culture in place when we make acquisitions. So what's another good example? We talked a lot about the marketing agencies because I have a relation in that. I, I kind of know that space now. Um, what, el- what, el- what else are you looking for right now? What is, what's another like prime target? So, I mean, I'd say courses, right? Uh, digital courses. Um, you know, there's a lot of different niches to make money, uh, niche and education space. Um, but courses are great. You know, one of the problems with uh, e-commerce sites and one of the reasons we don't like them is because they cause cash flow issues. Um, the faster you grow, the more you need into inventory and marketing to sustain that growth. And actually, a lot of e-commerce owners, they only see a, uh, money when they make a big exit one day. But, uh, you know, they might not see a lot of that monthly revenue because they have to reinvest it back into the company. When you have digital products or courses, then, you know, you make it once, you pay to have it made once, and then you keep selling it over and over again. So you at least get rid of the, the inventory expense that you would have with e-commerce. It's interesting is there's actually a community of course buyers. I'm almost one of them, right? I have, uh, since I moved, I moved to California a couple of months ago, I'm, I'm living in the Redwood Forest out here in California. It's beautiful. I'm right in, right in Sonoma Valley, wine country. I've got the ocean on one side of me, wineries on the other, and I'm in a Redwood Forest. Prior to that, I had my office in Tulsa. And in that office, I had one bookshelf sitting beside me. And at its peak, that bookshelf probably had $180,000 worth of course material on it over the last 15 years. So course buyers are course buyers. And the reason I bring that up is if you were, I've thought about this one very seriously, even in the real estate space, because if you were to aggregate a bunch of courses, there are people who buy pretty much every course they go to. Um, I know I know this because the reason I got all of those courses is I used to raise money in the real estate space by attending seminars telling people what we were doing that was different and saying, Hey, if you don't want to do your own thing, invest with us and we'll make money together. And we would, I could walk into a three day seminar, walk out with two, $300,000 worth of investors to buy you know, a few more houses. And um, that said, you go to those events and there's at least 10 people that they weren't there. I'd call them and see if they're okay. I, I, I mean, I'm talking, I'm traveling, I'm, I'm living in Tulsa at the time. I'm going to Dallas, then I'm going to Atlanta and then I'm going you know, to different cities and stuff. And I would show up and the same people are at all these courses. So there's a, there's a crowd that goes to almost every, every course. I bet you that's the case in every genre. So if you had a whole portfolio and you could cross sell and upsell, um, mm-hmm. that would be tremendously valuable. I actually reached out. I, I know a few of them. I won't say their names right now because I'm about to say something that I don't want to associate with them but i reached out to about five or six of these guys in the real estate space that i know and i've paid their courses and stuff and said hey why don't you give me a list of everybody that's ever paid for your course and attempted one of your seminars i'll get four or five of these other guys to do it and i'll spend the time of correlating the data and then what i'll do is i'll help you market to course buyers so i'll i'll look at like who's bought which ones and which ones haven't bought yours and give you very hot leads to you know people to invite to your course because they bought the other three guys stuff mm-hmm. all right there's a huge play on that. And, uh, you know, uh, to some extent it feels a little predatory, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a huge value inside of, Hey, this guy, if you, you get this guy into a seminar, he's buying the course and he's going to the back of the room. All right. Mm-hmm. And there are those yeah. guys. So, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I still think the best investment to make is uh, to make in yourself. And that's one of the reasons a lot of people buy these courses. And then especially if you can make acquisitions where they're in the different learning process of the stage, right? So it might be, for example, acquiring a new business. It might be then scaling your traffic and, you know, they're all related and they kind of start low and build up. It's kind of like when you see like department stores, right? When they see um, 
uh, one of their customers is like pregnant, right? They know they can keep marketing her because then they'll know exactly uh, or pretty closely when she's having the baby, when that baby is one, two, three, and they can keep marketing, you know, different uh, age, age range products to this person. So it's a bit similar. I know Sam Ovens, um, he did something similar where he had like two or three uh, different offerings, starting with like a, a $2,000 course, then going up to like a 5,000. And then he had like a, a larger tier of like 20,000 and just kind of where you are in the life cycle of, um, you know, learning and scaling your business. The whole Russell Brunson model, right? The uh, oh, I, I, uh, yeah, funnels. I, I love his value yeah. letter. Uh, two of the best books ever. You know, I have a master's degree in marketing, and I, I swear those two books are worth more to me than my uh, my entire master's degree in marketing. If they could have just taught from those two books, I'd have been a lot better off right now than I would have been with everything they taught me in a marketing degree. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. and uh, now I'm a big fan of Alex Ramosi. He runs uh, oh, yeah. acquisitions.com. And so I'm actually almost finished reading his $100 million offer book right now. And yeah, he's, um, he offers a lot of content for free on his website. He's got a little mini course there as well, which is great. And, you know, it's funny because all of this is basically like a very high end uh, lead magnet because um, he wants, you know, businesses to grow. And then once they're in his, I think he looks for like one to five or three to five million dollar um, revenue businesses. Then he brings them on into his funnel and, you know, tries to become a partner for equity there. Yeah, I think it's brilliant what he's doing. Basically, if you're not at that, not at his level, here's some free stuff to help you get there. And when you get there, you know, you owe me a favor. Let me look at your company. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. brilliant. If you ever run into him in person, I want him on the show. I've actually reached out to him and and I think his wife to have him on here. And I haven't got a response yet, but they're really busy creating their own content. So, but I'd love to have him on here just because, uh, just to, to, to learn from the, from the guy. Um, so let's talk about, you know, you 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 go out and you've got now now you're looking at say you know courses is there a particular market you're looking for currently or is it real estate is it online business uh, business acquisition business growth is there a space that you're you're playing in already or you're looking to play in? Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I definitely love the the make money online industry, but um, if you you know if you look at the three big markets right health wealth and um, well I'm blacking the third one. Uh, health wealth and relationships uh, relationships yes thank you <laughs> so you know anything in those three markets right it's it's um it's an evergreen market and um, there's always going to be people that so honestly i'd be i'd be happy with anything in those markets just because i know they're always going to have demand um with no ceiling whatsoever it's funny is that relationship mark i just had uh, adam lyons on here and it, while he while he does all kinds of stuff now um he got his teeth cut in the whole online dating advising type of space so he knows uh everybody from neil patel who wrote the uh, like the pickup artist and some other books and stuff like that he knows all those guys inside of that space so uh if you're looking for relationship information products you know i, I can get you in contact with him <laughs> um you know that that the health it's it's health relationships and uh, wealth, wealth, right? Those are yes. very passionate, very loyal type of space. So I got that. Cool. All right. Yeah. Is there yeah, any type of businesses you totally would avoid right now? Like you, you're not interested. You don't want to touch it. Like uh, I know there's some for me. Like I don't like things that are highly regulated. So um, yeah, I mean, Amazon affiliate, definitely avoiding that uh, like the plague. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of businesses where, um, they're in like either illegal industries or they're violating like a, a terms of service. So I've seen um, 
you know, some sites for sale, like they violate like the Facebook or LinkedIn terms of service. So we stay away from those just because you're kind of buying like a ticking time bomb at that point. And, you know, the marketplaces and brokers, they don't really care for them. You know, as long as the, the seller sells, they get their commission. They don't really do anything to protect the buyer because that's not their job. So that's something you have to look out for as the buyer and make sure you, you know what you're getting. Yeah, I avoid single disruptor businesses. If one person can wreck your day, so if Google can wreck your day, like you said earlier, that you're 100% SEO and paid paid ads won't, you know, you're, you don't have enough profit margin to cover uh, customer acquisition costs through paid ads, then mm-hmm. I'm not interested, right? Uh, same way with if you're 100%, if you got your store is 100% on Shopify and it wouldn't work in other places, I wouldn't even look at it. Just because your one Shopify decision away, or same way with Amazon stores. Amazon's worse. Um, if you got 100% of your revenue, or even a high percentage, say 70% of your income comes from Amazon stores, I wouldn't be interested. Just because your one decision of Amazon making that an Amazon product from losing the majority of your income. So mm-hmm. yeah, and that's why pricing multiples are so closely related to uh, the business having diversification of traffic and revenue. You know, sellers are always asking, "How can I get the most amount of money for my business?" Right? You know, just diversify both of the the revenue and the traffic. Right? If you have a website that's getting traffic from, um, you know, from AdWords, from paid Facebook ads, um, and SEO, and then on there you have digital products and physical products. You know, you kind of have the best of everything, and that's going to demand a higher multiple than just relying on one source of each. Yeah, I have a I have a couple of friends that were killing it. Uh, I guess last year or the year before on Facebook ads, and now they're just having a heck of a time because Facebook made them so expensive and so hard to. I just they're not getting the same results, right? The the ads are so oh, yeah, expensive. I- yeah, yeah. The iOS update. I see so many businesses for sale, right, where they're doing well. The iOS update kills them. And now they're trying to sell their business for like mid six figures. I'm like, you're losing money. You haven't been able to make paid ads work. How are you still asking for like pre iOS, you know, multiples? So, you know, they're, they're in a race because we look at the, the average of the last three years. So if, if, if they get the faster they get it sold, the faster that average goes down. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had to tell one guy because he, he said, no, don't you look at the average of the last three years? And I said, yeah, unless there's a catastrophic event in the last year, which you've had, right? You've, <laughs> you've got something that happened. It's not coming back, right? So, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this. One thing I just recently started seeing, and it's increasing, is you know how on the PNL you have the ad backs, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to see ad backs for failed marketing campaigns. I'm like, no, you can't do that. You can't. <laughs> You can't run. So I literally, I saw one business for sale. They had like 2.2 million in revenue, right? And they had a loss of like 60,000. And then they added back um, like 2.1 million in ad backs of failed marketing campaigns. I'm like, you can't just throw a bunch of shit at the wall. Whatever sticks is, you know, is fine. You're responsible for it. You did a great job. If it doesn't work, you're just, you know, try to get the money back as an ad back and sell the business. You're wondering, did they have an advisor telling them to do that or they just pulled that rabbit out of their own hat, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. You, I, it doesn't surprise me. And um, yeah, that, that doesn't work that way. So it's like, it's interesting because, you know, I like to start off the conversation with these business owners when they say, you know, hey, you know, when we start off, it's building rapport the first two calls or so. And but the conversation always comes up. They bring it up most of the times. Hey, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z for my company. I'm looking for a million, two million, three million for my company. And I don't blink an eye. It's just, okay, let's see how we can get you there. 
because I don't I don't have the details to know where they should be at this point, right? But often that number is like you know, you know I have people that that that, that recommend. Well, how, can you tell me how you came up with that number? I don't get into it yet because I've realized that all that does is set up a, a really awkward conversation because most of the time they come up with that number is like a rabbit out of the hat. They don't like that's what I need to retire or that's four times my revenue, like none of And it's too early in the conversation to have, well, that's not how this works, you know, conversations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people just have completely unrealistic expectations of what their business is worth. I think a lot of that is they look at SaaS multiples and they're like, Hey, my e-commerce business, it does a million in sales, a uh, hundred thousand EBITDA. I'm going to ask for a 10 X of EBITDA as a million dollars, or they'll be like, it's, it's only one X of revenue. I'm like, I don't care. It's a dropshipping business with, you know, 10% margins. It's not worth it. <laughs> so. Right. You know, the, um, the whole, the, the whole multiple of revenue and multiple EBITDA is kind of just like, a. I, I don't, I use it and I use it for how fast we can get the money back. And I'm not stuck on price. Right. Um, I don't think anybody should be It's like, is it a great business? Is can we get a return on our investment fairly quickly? Are there things we can do to it? Like, you know, does it have good bones and stuff like, you know, does it, does it lend well to other types of marketing? If the kind of marketing they're doing now fails, all those things are more important than like he wants a million dollars for a company which should be wanting 800,000 for, right. Then we can have that conversation later and, and do some type of, you know, earn out or whatever. But when somebody comes in and says they want a million dollars for a company, they want, should have want 300,000 for, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's sometimes the, the realistic to you. You're not going to get the business. You might be the guy that corrects the real, uh, their expectations, right? Mm -hmm. You just like, this isn't going to work. This is what you're going to get for it. But they're going to be mad enough. You're probably not going to be the guy they sell it to. They're going to sell it to the next guys somewhere close to what, what the market really will bear. But, you know, I, that's, that's, that's yeah. my experience. That many of your experience too is when you set somebody straight, you don't end up getting it. Yeah, I mean, I think eventually the market sets the expectations for them. So when they list a business for sale, like on a marketplace and they see they're not getting any interest, you know, they'll have an idea why. Um, I think also some, you know, some brokers are setting uh, unrealistic expectations for them just to get them into like a contract. So they're, you know, they have the exclusive rights to sell the business. And then from there, you know, they start going lower and lower. Just, you know, that's kind of part of their like sales methods. Yeah, the broker, the broker escalating model, right? You know what that is? It's where you go to one broker and say, hey, I'm thinking about selling my business. Okay, well, what do you think you can get, you know, need to get out of it? Well, my my retirement, you know, advisor says I need a million dollars added to my retirement. Okay, we could probably get you there, right? So the first guy says that. And you go, oh, I'm going to get a second opinion. I have another appointment with a broker, right? So you go to the second broker and go, hey, the last guy said he can get me a million bucks. And he goes, I can do 1.2. Like, you know, <laughs> and next thing you know, they got it listed for 1.5 because you talked to a third guy and it's worth 800 K. Right. That happens a lot. And, uh, yeah. you know, but you, you, you'll never see those case studies published, uh, on the broker's website. It's more about, you know, this guy was about to sell for 800,000. We got a 1.5 million, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and businesses are worth what the market will pay for them. So if somebody's willing to pay that, then, you know, same thing with real estate, like, you know, I could take a house that I think, you know, the market should sell for 180 and sell it for 250 and leave it on the market for 90 days and see if it sells. You know, I know investors that do it, right? They'll actually mark their house up by 20, 25%, put it on the market. And if it sells, that's great. If it doesn't, that's okay. They'll, they'll continue using it for the other, you know, higher and best purposes they have. I get that. 
But when you're really needing to sell or wanting to sell, having a, a realistic expectation of what you're worth is extremely valuable because most of the serious buyers won't even look at you if you've got it listed way crazy high. I'm sure you've looked at the biz by sales and stuff and looked at stuff and like, I don't know how they came oh, up yeah. with the number, but I'm not even bothering to talk to these guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, one thing is I wish there was more transparency in our industry, right? Everything is behind NDAs, whether it's the broker, the marketplace, the actual transaction. So you don't get a lot of the data. Um, I know you and I were talking about domain names before, right? Mm -hmm. I love, um, I think they're called name bio, right? Where you can look up you know, most of the domain sales happening across the internet. There's obviously some larger sales that are behind NDAs, but for the most part, you know, you can easily see the domain, uh, with what keyword and how much it's sold for. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that's great for the market. So I kind of wish more of that existed in the, the M&A space. Should you look at some of the European businesses. They have all, all their uh, publicly and private uh, companies uh, are all um, they have the something clearinghouse is what they call it. It's a uh, data clearinghouse of some sort. But if you're even if you're a privately listed company, you have to turn in your quarterly or yearly reports, and they have they're audited, and um, so all their financials are are accurate, right? I, I have a lot of contacts, a lot of people listening to the show here. They're over in, in Europe and London and stuff. So if you guys are interested in buying things from other countries and stuff and bringing them here, but uh, the the numbers are a lot more accurate there. Uh, it's a little easier and you can actually see who's close to being in insolvency. They actually have a, a rule that if you can't pay your bills, the government can come in and call you insolvent and take it away from you. Right. So there's an insolvency type of quarter system. And uh, I won't venture to say I know much more about it than that, but it's intrigued me that the fact that I can go just look through a database and see how well a company's done. That's supposed to be a, a privately owned company. Yeah. I mean, that definitely makes due diligence a lot easier, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're getting close to the top hour, man. I can't believe that it. like time flies when we're doing this. So, uh, kind of tell me a little bit about kind of what you guys, you know, what's your next step? What do you, what can we do for you? What is there something we can do to to help Onfolio, you know, succeed? Is there something we can, you know, tell the world you guys are looking for? Uh, what's your big ask? Yeah, you know, it's not so much an ask. Uh, you know, I. I I like going on these podcasts and I'm trying to do a lot more, um, you know, thought leadership. It's about educating the market and growing the market. Cause I, I think ultimately, you know, that's what it's, uh, you know, good for. And that's what I'm trying to, you know, benefit both sides. I have buyers and sellers both emailing me, asking me either how to get more for their business or what to look for, things like that. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're looking for deal flow, right? So if somebody's looking to make an exit, you know, it'd be great if they could contact us. Um, but ultimately, you know, just kind of getting our name out there, um, you, you know, Empire Flippers, one thing they do really well is, you know, they really have their name out there across the entire community. They sponsor events. Um, they do their own podcasts. Um, they're great at, um, you know, the content marketing they do. So that's really where, you know, we're starting to gain traction and what we're looking to do and expand. Cool. And um, if, if somebody could remember one or two things from the show, what would you want them to remember of you? What would be the key takeaways? Oh, man, that's a difficult question. You didn't prepare me for that. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, I'd say that, you know, we try to be as transparent as Unfolio, uh, at Unfolio as possible. Um, you know, you, there's definitely, you know, some shady things happening in the background. And you'll kind of see those come up, like I mentioned, with, um, uh, with Income Store before. Uh, so, yeah, especially as a public company, right? We are forced to be as transparent as possible. Um, and, you know, I'd like to see more of that in the industry, um, you know, less NDAs and just, you know, 
I think it's all about helping each other and, you know, growing the M&A market as a whole. It's cool. I met a company yesterday and I won't say who they are because they're still like they're a white combinator company and stuff. And uh, I'll probably put him on the show here, but they're starting in brick and mortar type of companies, home services. They're starting in the plumbing and the heat and air company. But their whole goal is to create that transparency marketplace to have like basically just have a marketplace where you just log in and you can see all that information and and uh, they're trying to change the industry to where more like what you're talking about. It's it's very open. It's very transparent. You can really see what you're looking at and uh, help both sides of the deal move forward faster that way. Uh, that's their end goal. We'll see. What, let's see. Um, I'm, I'm eager to see how they get there. But uh, I want to appreciate you for being here today. Is there anything else we want to like? Hey, let's, let's make sure people. One thing I missed. Oh my god, I almost forgot. Uh, how do people get a hold of you if they if they got something interesting? Um, you know, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Sure. So they can just email me. Uh, my email is yuri at unfolio.com. They can go to our website, unfolio.com, submit a contact form, you know, LinkedIn, Unfolio, uh, Google, Unfolio. We're, you know, we're everywhere. So yeah, just uh, email me directly or through our website. Cool. And um, I thank you for being here today. And I think we'll call that a show, man. All right. Thanks a lot for having me. Cool. Hang out for just a second. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace, we have partnered with, has a proprietary database of 50,000-plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software-as-a-service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in napoleon hill's famous book think and grow rich with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T-I-E-P-M.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.